We are in the middle of a series called A Whole Heart. And this series comes from the great commandment. If everybody's been to church for a while, you may know this great commandment. It's from Jesus. It's a Jesus series. We're primarily looking at text and scripture of Jesus' words. And so the great commandment was Jesus saying, he took the Old Testament, you know, they said, what's the most important thing? And Jesus said, well, let me boil it down to you. He actually gave them two things, but he said they were equal importance in terms of the one commandment. And it started off this way. So you must love the Lord your God with, say the words out loud, all three words, all your heart heart and all your soul and all your mind. And the actual Deuteronomy scripture sometimes says in all your strength, sometimes it's translated that way. And and so we've talked about sometimes that we do pretty good job talking about our soul and salvation, and we talk about our mind. We'll talk. We got a whole uh, mental health series coming up in November, and you know sometimes we'll do this in terms of the re, you know training the way you think and reforming the way you think and transformation. Um, but we were talking about this idea of like, what does a whole heart look like? And the word that came out was devotion. The word that came out was devotion. What does it look like to to have this wholehearted devotion to God? And my summary last week, I'm not going to be able to preach everything from last week, but my summary last week was that a whole heart really does look like a generous life, all right? A generous life, meaning nothing's holding you back. There's nothing holding you back. There's nothing that, that's stopping you from, from doing and living fully out the way God wants you to live. Problem is when I say that, sometimes, again, people get a little angsty. Is that a word? I don't know if I just made that up. Anyway, people get a little angsty about the word generous, because you immediately think of money, right? You immediately go, oh, we came to church on a money sermon. Oh, such bad luck. All right, so yeah, I I understand that, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. That's only because of how we've, you know, used that word in the past uh, about random acts of giving where, you know, someone tries to inspire you with vision to get you to give or someone tries to guilt you or shame you about what you have versus what other people don't have and they try to get you to give. Overall, they just try to manipulate some sort of random gift out of you. But that's not what this is. It's not what we are talking about because generosity or a generous life is, is a heart issue, not a money issue. It's a heart issue, right? Not a money issue, which is why, again, a whole heart, we really do believe, represents this generous life. Jesus had a lot to say about our hearts. And he had a lot of practical ways in which he was trying to help describe not only what's in your heart, but some of the things that are kind of stopping you and holding you back from giving your full heart to God. We gave one example last week of the rich young ruler. And then we're going to continue with where we ended last week. I'll reread this part of Matthew 6, but we're in, the, we're in a portion of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is one of Jesus' famous sermons. It covers about three chapters in the book of Matthew. And just to give you a quick update, because it's a lot of things, but it's all about heart. It's all about faith, okay? So he starts off with the Beatitudes, talking about what this looks like, blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek in spirit. He talks about that. He goes into a long section about different parts of the law, in terms of they were so rigid about the law, and yet they were missing the heart of God. And so he was kind of walking you through, you know, you've heard it said this, but here's what I say. Here's what's really the heart of the Father behind this. And then in chapter 6, he talks about prayer, and he teaches them how to pray. He says, you know, our Father who art in heaven, you know, he teaches them, he teaches them the, the Lord's Prayer that we call it, right? He teaches them how to pray and what the purpose of prayer should look like and why we pray. And then he shifts 
into this passage we're getting ready to read. And we read this last week as we introduced it. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and thieves can break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust can't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Because wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Wherever your treasure is, your heart is also going to be there. Because no one can serve two masters. You will hate the one and love the other. You will be, what's the word? Yeah, you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. And this is the contrast that Jesus builds when he begins to talk about sort of the issue at hand. We talked about it last week, the battle for your heart, right? That you cannot serve two masters. It's impossible. You can say it, but it's not going to be true because you're going to be serving one, despising the other, loving one, giving your devotion to one, and not to the other. Because again, it's about a heart, not about the treasure. It's about the heart. I can't help that Jesus talked about how intertwined this is. We used the example last week of a rope, right? How intertwined it is that, that our heart is so tied to, you know, the things that affect us the deepest, which in terms of our resources and money and treasure and what we value the most. And it keeps us from experiencing this whole heart. So last week I introduced you to these chains, all right, we don't even see them as change. And I'll, I'll get, again, I'll talk today about why that is. So here you have your heart. I'm going to be an amazing artist today. All right, there's your heart. And what you see as chains and what we see in Jesus' teaching, especially when we were looking at the story last week, is that this idea of serving with your whole heart, nothing holding you back, nothing distracting you, versus the chains that we don't even see as chains can, can oftentimes just be, you know, prosperity, right? They can be prosperity or debt, you know, the, the need for more than what you have. It's a, it's a lack of contentment. Is there really enough? Do you have enough? Have you ever met those people who just doesn't feel like they'd ever have enough, right? That's a chain. And then our possessions can also be a chain. This is a chain, by the way. I know you can't tell, but links in the chain. They can be our possessions. They can just be the things we own, the things that own us, the material possessions that we sort of cling to or have our security in. And that's another one that's a huge one. We're going to talk, spend most of our time today because that's what Jesus did. Jesus addressed kind of full head on this idea of security and stability, right? What makes us feel secure? What makes us feel uh, stable? And we don't see them as chains, but the reality is, is that it is impossible, is what Jesus is saying. It's impossible to give your whole heart to God when you are enslaved to money. Now, nobody here, I know this is true, nobody here is going to look at me and say, oh yeah, I'm totally a slave to money. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I love it. Right? You're not going to do it because most of us look at it and go, I'm not enslaved to money. That's not me. I know better than that. The problem is, is that we are enslaved to what money provides, to what money promises, to what money sort of feels like it guarantees for us, right? That's what we are enslaved to. We're enslaved to the lifestyle. We're enslaved to the promises. We're enslaved to the security and the safety and the stability 
that money gives. Matter, I mean, just think about it. When you think about pe- financial people, when they talk about money, they're just like, don't you want to feel financially secure? Isn't that a good line, right? Because everybody's going, yes, I really do want to feel financially secure. Because that's a big deal where insecurity lies in us. But we don't see these as changes. So here's why I wanted to kind of finish a little bit of this, this where Jesus goes when he drops that hammer of like, you can't serve two masters. And then he dives deep into this passage. I've just always loved this passage in Matthew 6. As he tries to work it out for our benefit and for the benefit of those he was teaching. Here's what this enslavement looks like. Here's, here's what it feels like in your life. And he starts with these words. This is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. I tell you not to worry about your everyday life, right? Whether you have enough food and and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't your life more than food? Sometimes, no. My life is food. I love food. Food's a big deal. I wake up thinking about food. But if I had to be challenged, and well, isn't life more than food? I'd be like, well, yeah, life is more than food. Isn't your body more than clothing? More than what you wear? Yeah, yeah. We can, Jesus does this for our benefit to walk it along. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And I love this question. He says, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? I mean, this, is, this should be something that people just easily get. Yet Jesus feels the need to teach this for their benefit and for ours. And then ask this question. Can any of your worries or can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? This is a big, big passage and a big challenge in terms of how you and I operate every day with some element of worry, concern. Let's just use all the words that we use, right? Fear, concern, anxiety, worry, stress. We like to say the word stress a lot. And all of it has to do with what we eat, food, drink, clothes, wear, what's happening, our house, our, 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 our lives, everything about our lives. And then Jesus has to use birds as an example. Birds are worthless. Let's just be honest, right? I mean, I, I mean, even in today's like, you know, PC culture, I'm not allowed to say that, but I mean, they just, they just eat bugs and rodents and poop everywhere. Like, you know, I mean, they're worthless as far as I'm concerned. They take care of that and then they're food for something bigger. All right. But even in that time, Jesus is kind of like, you know, you kind of trade birds for, for money. Like they used, they used it as a little bit of money value and change. Like it was kind of like, you know, there's a little bit of value to a couple sparrows and some pigeons. Like he wanted them to understand that this idea was like, they're really not worth very much. And yet God fully takes care of them. Okay. He has put so many worms and bugs and so forth and so on in this world that birds never, ever, ever have to worry. And then he says, but, but aren't you, you, more valuable than them? And if that isn't enough, I want us to just park on the question that he ends with there. And he just says, can any of your worry add a single moment to your life? By the way, he's not done talking about worry, but this is just the first gut punch right? 
Like, can any of your worry? And let's just be honest. I don't know who you are today. I don't know each one of you, but I've met some champion warriors. All right. Like gold medalist warriors in my life. All right. If they're not worried about something, they've worried they forgot about something. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't point. Nobody point. <laughs> don't point. I don't need to know. <laughs> right. Champion gold medalist warriors. I know it's not everybody, but let's just be honest. Does the stress add any, any time to your life? No, actually, it takes it away. Does the worry, does the anxiety, does the fear ever actually produce anything? No. And it goes back to the question I asked last week. And here's the reason I'm going to bring it back up. I didn't want to drill into it last week because I just wanted it to marinate for a little bit. Right? This is from the story we read last week. Do we trust in what riches provide? Or do we trust in the one who richly provides? Now, the reason I'm going to go a little bit deeper with this is because Jesus chooses to. He continues to teach on this idea that we have to take stock and wonder that I live in such a way that, you know, I think worry really does help me. Worry really does motivate me. Worry really does kind of like function in a way in my life in a productive way. Why? Because this is the average American. Okay, let me just go ahead and walk you through this very quickly. This is the average American. I'm just going to deal very quickly with, with an idea of worry when it comes to money. Okay? Worry is right here. All right? Worry. When we worry about whether we have enough, whether we're going to have enough, whether we, whether we have enough to operate, whether, it's, whether, we, whether we feel safe, whether we feel secure, whether it's all that, when we worry... Do you know what we do, most of us? You can take a guess if you want. What do most of us do when worry sort of sets in? Do you have any idea what the average American does? I don't hear you, but I'm going to tell you. We spend. Right? We spend. The average American, when worry hits them, talks about the worry of whether things are enough or whatever, and then we function in such a way to almost live in denial because it makes us feel better to be able to spend. It doesn't matter if we're spending what we made. Most of us spend more than what we make. That's the average American, right? We spend more than what we make, which only leads to debt. And it doesn't matter whether this debt is functional. You know what functional debt is? It means you can afford it, right? It means you can afford it. It's functional debt. Meaning that you could just, you know, you just have stuff, but you have the means to be able to deal with it. So you just accumulate and accumulate, even though you're going deeper and deeper into debt, it's functional debt. Or it's debt you can't afford. And then, and then only then do we actually feel like there's an actual chain when we look at debt and we can't afford it. Which leads us to live a life of no margin. There's no margin in our lives. There's no margin in our time. There's no margin because we have to constantly work. There's no margin in our funds because we never feel like we have enough and we're always spending what we have. We're always consuming. There's no margin for us to save or to do the things that we want to do because we, we haven't, we, we, you know, again, whether it's a fear of not having enough so we hoard, right? Or whether we spend it all and spend more because we're consuming. There's just no margin. There's no extra there's no cushion. 
And when that happens, guess what happens? We worry. And when we worry, we spend, and when we spend, we go into debt or we try to manage what we have, our possessions. But we live life with no margin, which causes us to worry. And round and round and round and round it goes. And here's the worst part. This is viewed as normal. Nod your head if you're with me. Normal. That's just normal. This is just life. And isn't that exactly what Jesus is sort of attacking in this moment? Isn't he just kind of looking at them and after he preaches and he's preaching in the middle of this and he says, this is why I tell you, and you can tell the way he states it, that he's probably said it more than once, right? This isn't like, hey, brand new information, guys. Brand new thing I've never said before. Get ready to write it down. He says, no, don't you guys know what I'm always saying? Don't worry about everyday life what you eat, what you drink, what you wear. Look at the birds. Look at the worthless birds. Don't you matter more to them? Can any of your worry actually be productive? Because it sits with this question of what am I actually putting trust in? Am I trusting in the promises of my resources? Am I trusting in the riches, what riches provide? Or am I actually trusting in the one who richly provides? Let's keep going. And why worry about your, your clothes, right? Your clothing. Look at the field. Gosh, Jesus has great examples, right? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their own clothing. They don't work at it. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Solomon in all his glory didn't look anything like the lilies of the field. And he keeps going and he says, and if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, again, Jesus painting the picture of what is so worthless so temporary, so temporal. He will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Now, this is an interesting question. Because if Jesus were to pop into 2021 Christianity, and he were to look at average Americans and North Americans and say, why are you worried about everyday life? You know, why are you so consumed about the temporary things that money provides or doesn't provide? It's here today, it's gone tomorrow. Rust destroys it. Moths destroy it. Thieves can come in and steal it. Economies can crash. Pandemics can happen. Why exactly are you so worried? And then we'd say, why don't you have any faith? And then we'd go, oh, no, 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 we have faith. I have faith in Jesus. It says so in my email you know, signature and bumper sticker on my car. I believe in God. I believe in God. I believe I'm saved. I've, I've given my life to Jesus. We immediately look at faith from a standpoint of some transaction or something that secures us in this, this, uh, this one area spiritually versus actually how we live. 
And so Jesus is like, yeah, why do you have so little faith when it comes to the stuff that's actually in the way you live? Why, why that? And, and so for us, we have to acknowledge, right, that what's at work here is fear. And where there is fear, there is no faith. Our worry and our anxiety and our stress, especially when it comes to everyday life and the things that money provides, that's all based in fear. It's all rooted in fear. And faith, the best word is trust. Because our faith in God is about our trusting in Him. We trust Him for all things. And yet again, we are so consumed by the temporary. And this is what Jesus takes us right into because he already knows this. This is not brand new information. So Jesus has to remind them again. So don't worry about these things. What things? All the things. Everybody just say all the things. Yeah, don't worry about all the things that you already spend time worrying about. Saying, what will we eat and what will we drink and what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's all they think about. That's all they can think about. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. He's already tuned in. He's your Heavenly Father. He already knows it. And then he gives them the end verse. It says, I want you to seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. God already knows everything you need. So don't worry about it. Now, let's just be honest. Let's, let's think back for a minute. Whether it was you who said it or whether it was someone said it to you. Isn't it great when somebody looks at you and says, hey man, don't worry about it. And don't you immediately have that thought like, yeah, you're an idiot. <laughs> I'm not worrying for the fun of it. I have actually something I'm worried about. So it doesn't do any good to tell me not to worry. It doesn't do any good. Has it ever done anyone any good? Oh, just don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm no longer worried about anything. Well, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus says, look, I don't want you to worry about it. And then he gives a challenge along with the promise. And the challenge is, this is a hard one, why are you acting like unbelievers? Why are you acting like someone who doesn't have a God? Like the, the term Christian atheist popped up several years ago. Again, it's an oxymoron. It doesn't make any sense. But it was, it was tagged, and then eventually a, a guy wrote a book on it. Craig Rochelle, he's out of Oklahoma. He's a great pastor. He wrote a book on it because he saw it, and he understood the context. And he said, this is the greatest lie of our adversary, the devil. This is the greatest lie of the enemy. To, to make us believe as modern-day Christians that we can have faith in God for our salvation, but we live our lives as if there's no God. We are Christian atheists. We are Christians in name 
and salvation faith only. But we don't look anything different than anybody else. And most Christians think that's normal. It's not normal. Jesus is like, don't worry. There's a reason I'm telling you not to worry. But the challenge comes to us, and the challenge cannot be skipped over. So I'm not reading a ton of other scriptures today. I'm just focusing on what Jesus said. They cannot be skipped over. Why do you act like an unbeliever? When your heavenly father, the, the father you pray to, the father you claim to have faith in, the father in whom you've surrendered your life so you can get to heaven one day and be with him, why in the world would you worry about all of these little temporary things when he already knows what you need? Like he's on it. He knows. He already knows. Unbelievers don't have a choice. Isn't it amazing that we get a choice? That in every single moment that worry and fear and these chains try to like pop up on us to kind of hold us back and to hold back our hearts from living fully devoted, fully towards what God wants, that every time this comes up, we have the choice to simply say, I will not bow to fear. I will not give in to my anxiety because I already have a heavenly father who knows what I need. And then the promise came that if you seek him above all else, because that's the solution. This is where Jesus is trying to help them understand. This isn't just a don't worry about it. This is a don't worry about it because if you seek him first in all things, above all else, and live righteously, which by the way, doesn't mean just live with good behavior. Live righteously means you live in such a way that you are already made right with God. There's nothing else you can do to make yourself right with him. He's already done it for you. So why in the world would you not trust the one who's already done it for you with everything else? Because if you live righteously, you live out of the righteousness that God has taken care of it for you. That's what he means when he says, live righteously. And all these things are going to happen. He already knows what you need. And you can begin to see, and I'm just telling you, you can begin to see these chains eventually go away and drop. It's not about what you can maintain or get your hands on or accumulate. It's not about what you can manage or navigate or control. It's not about the things you own and the things that, you know, everybody tells you you need to have and the more you can see them eventually be gone. And when that happens, you'll begin to experience what it's like to live with your whole heart. To live a generous life. But there's a cost to it. There's a cost to it. And it's the same cost as anything else. It's the same cost we talk about when it comes to every other part of our Christian faith. 
And the cost to getting rid of these chains and to not live in fear is to surrender our fear and control. We have to surrender it to him. We have to, listen, it's not that fear doesn't exist. It's not that there's desire for control. Again, you've heard me preach enough to know that we talk about what what it looks like for our Holy Spirit to be at war with our own flesh nature, our own spirit, and that we make choices all the time as to who's going to win that battle and which which side we're going to lean into. So when the fear comes and the anxiety comes, it doesn't mean it won't come. It just means that in those moments, we have to surrender control. We have to surrender our control of it. We have to surrender our fear. God, you know that what's in me wants to be afraid. But Father God, you already know what I need. So I'm going to continue to seek you first. Above all things, above my security, above my stability, above my possessions, above my, my, my greed and my prosperity, and I want to just know that it's going to come. Now, again, this is so much easier said than done. I'll just give you personally my story uh, very, very quickly as the end here. Um, you know, the reality is, is that I was, I'm, the fifth kid of, I'm the fifth kid in our family. And uh, most of my family was gone when I grew up. And my dad was in sales always. And, you know, I grew up, I'm very extroverted and, and kind, of, kind of knew that my life was probably going to find its way into selling things or just working in such a way that, you know, communicated with people because I loved being with people and people fueled me. And, and so from my wife and I got married at 18, 19 years old, uh, very similar, Karina got married yesterday and, you know, we were young, you know, we were young and I was already, she was going to school, but I was already in the world, man. I was already, and pretty much for the next five or plus years, I would just sell something right? I was just selling something. I was selling anything I could find. I was always working for different companies. And, and when you live that way, I just want you to understand that when you live that way, it didn't matter what I said because I said all the right things. Guys, I was raised in church. All right. I mean, Tracy and I were helping, we, right as soon as we were married, we were helping youth group, you know, helping lead the youth group and doing everything we could to, to volunteer in our church and go. And I could say all the right words, but the reality is, is I was living in a world, I was living in a life, and if you already know this about sales, is that it's always about what's next. It's always about wanting more. It's always about the insecurity of what you don't have. It's always kind of drive, 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 and it doesn't matter what you accomplish, because if you didn't accomplish anything today, what have you done for me today. I mean, it's a, it's a vicious life, but I enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed sales. And I lived in such a way that I didn't, I separated it completely. My faith in God, my faith and trust. Oh, I love Jesus. I, yes. Above all else. Yes. Seek kingdom. Yes. But I lived in such a way that it was all about what I could provide. It's all about what I could maintain. It's all about what I could attain. It's all about what I could manage. It's all about the things we could do and the security I could build for me and for my wife and eventually my family. Now, eventually God had to teach me what it was going to look like to live with a whole heart, a generous life. Now, for me, just letting you know, for me, it took going into full-time ministry, which I've been in for the last 21 years, okay? 
Like on paper, you have to understand this. On paper, I went from, I went from the mentality of selling and doing all for me, for me, for me. And I went and put myself into the service of others where 100% of my income was dependent on you. Okay? And I don't trust any of you. <laughs> Y'all with me? I don't. Bunch of selfish, greedy people. I don't trust any of you. So understand that I didn't even put it all together when I first went into ministry. I didn't even really put it together, but slowly over time, God would address this in my heart and would address this in my heart and would address this in my heart that quite frankly, I wasn't actually fully surrendered in that area. And there was a big breakthrough for, for me and, and for my wife. It was, gosh, 2010 or 11 for the one, if you were here, we had a kind of a refinance uh, campaign. And my wife and I were praying about it. And she, she's much more spiritual than me. So she kind of challenged me immediately. She was like, I think we can give more. And listen, we were already being very obedient with tithes and offerings and we were raised that way. So it was a discipline. But again, it wasn't a generous heart. It was a discipline of giving, but it wasn't a generous heart for me. And Tracy said, and we were kind of walking back and forth, and she just prompted it. And she said, I think, I, I just feel like God said we should double it. And I was like, yeah, that's totally what I thought. It's not what I thought. But it was, it was just, I was on board. Because God had been doing a work in me. Everybody with me? God had been doing a work with me, and I was just like, you know what? There's no reason we shouldn't be able to do that. And we had to take a step of faith to do it. And for that two-year period of time, we gave double than what we had ever given before. And for that two-year period of time, God continued to provide our needs. And I want you to understand that this transformation, this process, has taken time. But one of the reasons, if you ever get to know me, if you ever serve on our leadership team here, if you ever, you know, kind of serve in any type of ministry here, I'm the guy who doesn't worry about money. You know, I'm just not. It's one of the reasons I don't preach on money. It's one of the reasons I don't pressure you for money. I don't pre I just don't do it. Like I am completely convinced that God is going to provide every single day, not just for me, but for us. I've never worried about it. You know, why would I, why would I worry? Look at the worthless birds, right? And the grass on the other side of the field that's going to be gone tomorrow. Does he not care for this church that he started, that he built? He's going to take care of it. And there are people here with obedience and gratitude that already, already give and they're already living out this generous life. But I'm telling you, for me, you can say all the right things and you can know all the right things, but it does not mean it's in your life. It doesn't mean it's in your actions. And so today, the challenge for you is just take the next step. For me, it was several steps. For me, it was several, uh, several months and years of processing to where I just, you know, I had to understand that I, I could never outgive God. And through the ups and downs of our lives, I mean, I'm just telling you this. One of the reasons people don't do this is because God's provision doesn't always look like what we want provision to look like. Because we've had full bellies and we've had empty bellies. And we've had big, nice, cushiony bank accounts. And we've been on Medicare and Medicaid and... Which one is it? Medicaid. Oh, yeah, Medicaid. We've been on Medicaid and government programs to feed us. And it was all God's provision. Everybody with me? 
doesn't always look. Sometimes it was just a family member prompted to give us money when they had no idea how poor we really were. But God already knew what we needed. And he has always provided. And now at 46, 47 years of life, I'll just be honest, there's it's just a time in my life where I just had to give up and say, why in the world would I ever worry about this? Why would I ever let stress or anxiety or fear get in the way of what God wants to do in my heart and through me? And I can promise you, the reason I want you to take a step, I don't care what the step is. The reason I want you to just continue to take a step to move in the direction where you begin to surrender your fear and control and to begin to live in that devotion, that full, wholehearted devotion to God is because I can promise you, once you begin to experience what it is to live a generous life, you will never regret it. You will never regret it. You've never met someone living wholeheartedly towards God with a generous life who has that regret? Never. Next week, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of those steps you can take, but I want you just to be, just let, let the Spirit guide you today. Let Him challenge you with those words. Do not act like an unbeliever when you sit there and worry about all of the things in your life. Because you have a Heavenly Father who already knows what you need. Let's pray together. Oh, God, you're so good. And uh, I wish I could express, I think my words sometimes fail, God, to express how gracious and generous you've been to me and my family. And uh, especially, I mean, over all the years, even the years where I didn't get it, even the years where I was still under the illusion that what I fought so hard to attain and achieve and commissions and bonuses and the rat race of every, the thing that everybody said was normal. God, you still provided. You were still so generous. God, thank you for bringing me and my family to this place of wholehearted living, of just understanding generosity at a deeper level. It's what I desire for every person here, every person watching online and later, that even if they haven't experienced it yet, that they would take a step today. They would take a step, not just a random act of giving, not just a a random change in in behavior, oh, I'm just not going to worry about it, but God, a conviction, a conviction and and a repentance of our control and our fear and surrendering it to you so that we can begin to experience a whole heart. I pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.